Wow. Yeah, the first mobile call was made in 83. How wow. big was the phone? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was about the size of this table. Uh, and it, <laughs> it probably was, pushed out so much, you know. Well, a lot of them. Like literally a brick. Gordon they just Gekko. lobbed it at someone yeah. to get their attention. Hello and welcome to another telecoms.com podcast. We've got a special guest this week. We've got Mary Clark from Synchronos. Correct. Not Cineverse, but I'll come to that. Because <laughs> I've, I've got a little surprise to you, for you on, on that um, front. Absolutely. And uh, so she's been on the pod before, but not wearing this hat. Um, and Correct. Mary is uh, Chief Marketing Officer, is that That's what you right. are there, mm -hmm. CMO, mm -hmm. um, and General Industry Expert and Top Lady. Oh, thank you. Um, and and we've got Jamie, who's, who's just Jamie, basically. He needs no introduction. And he's looking at his phone, inevitably. <laughs> um, uh, oh, yes. Uh, if you're watching this on the site or on Facebook, you can listen to it on iTunes or SoundCloud. And if you listen to it, you can watch it on the site or on Facebook. So this week, we're, I think we're just going to wing it largely. Um, Mary and I, um, I pick Mary up. She, she always stays, if you don't, I hope you don't mind me saying, always stays in the St. Pancras Hotel, which happens to be on my way into work. So I picked nice her up. Hotel. We had a little chat. It is a nice hotel. Renaissance? Oh yeah, oh. yeah. We've had we've had some fun in the Gilbert Scott cocktail bar. That is well. correct. Which has been renamed to the George's Bar. Is it? It's not Gilbert Scott anymore. No, it's quite useless. Oh my God, it's Even, nothing sacred. No, it's not. And and it's apparently no one in the hotel knows that. You call it right. the George's Bar, and they're like, what? Yeah. what is that and I said, no, it's the Gilbert Scott. Scott. And they're like, oh, oh, no, the Gilbert Scott. Yes. Yeah, so, so it's not it's taking just on. Only white one. If it they ain't just broke, just, just leave right. it alone. Just leave it alone. Um, and so on the way in, we were chatting, and we're gonna in a sec when I finished my sort of meandering, we're gonna chat sort of broadly about the relationship that operators have with their customers, yep. how that can be improved and all that sort of thing. And you as a, as a sort of telecoms marketing person, obviously have got plenty to say about that. A um, couple of things first. Uh, I'm I'm not top form today. I got to bed about three in the morning. Mm. Your voice um, sounds a bit... <coughs> here's my voice a bit like that. It's a bit nasal. <laughs> yeah. I can hardly hear anything. So I went and saw this band. This isn't actually a commentary on my physical appearance. This is a this is a band band called Wofat. And I looked it up after. They've actually got their name from the main baddie in Hawaii Five O. Check that out. No way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no I totally way. forgot that. We've got way in the background as well. So anytime anyone says no way, we've got a point at way and make a stupid comment. A pun. Um, uh, a pun. So yes, Wofat, and it was a, a place in Camden called The Underworld, and it was very, very oh, loud. I know that place, yeah. And I swear, we, we thought there was actually some kind of fire alarm going off when we came out. It was just the ringing in our ears, and I still got ringing in my no ears. No kidding. Jesus. So I've got you know three in the morning voice, and I've got ringing in my ears, so I'm not on top form. But there we go, and you've been you've been <coughs> at it all week. Haven't I've, you, I've been so. out late every night this week. So there we are, good for us. We're so rock and roll. That's exactly right. Um, <laughs> and oh yeah, what else? Before we get into it, I just thought, Mary, is yes, you used to see so you used to work at um, Cineverse. That is correct. And now you're at Synchronos, and I always thought, what are the odds of moving from one company, yeah, whose name <coughs> begins with S Y N, to mm -hmm. another, mm. but. Turns out there are other companies. No. So if you, not oh, that's that I, you have the list. by the way, if, you know, if uh, Glenn, if, if you're listening to this, I'm not encouraging her to leave. <laughs> but if she happened at some time in the future to leave and she wanted to stick with this. With my theme. theme. I've done a bit of research, Mary. Um, and there are, I found about 10 other companies that have been with Sin. Um, they're generally in the area either of tech or, or medical. So we've got Cinecore. The inevitable synergy. I'm surprised there weren't more of those. I, right. 
Um, which is presumably the etymology of these companies that you've worked at. They probably get the sin from Synergy, I'd imagine. Because we, we love a bit of synergy, don't we? We Generally. do. We do. Um, we, we gravitate to that. I think. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, we, we like to say it anyway. And uh, what else have we got? We've got Synology, a desktop network attached storage. Oh, that wow. sounds pretty funky. Interesting. You've mm -hmm. got Sync, SYNQ, Audio. But my favorite, and I'll give you this to take away. i got to have it. Is Sinulox, a dog <laughs> antibiotic. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> So I think I think I've had options. Is just start swatting up on dog antibiotics. Is I have options I in the world. I bet they need a CMO. They do. Everybody so there does. You go, Mary. Oh, that's fabulous. Present Thank for you. Scott. You could move into the movie business as well. Chris Christopher Nolan's movie uh, company is called Syncopy. No kidding. Yeah. Right. Okay. See. That's See. I've got. Look at this. You all have helped me we'll, in my we'll, career. We'll write that yeah. down at the end. So uh, <laughs> there we are. I'm going to write Christopher Nolan in a, in a movie company. Outstanding. Thank Excellent. you. Excellent. Um, so there we are. Okay. Enough frivolity. <laughs> so Mary. <laughs> We were chatting about, um, you know, this is this is a, this is a recurring theme. Obviously, it's it's a it's a recurring theme to the point of cliche that operators um, have got their margins squeezed. Mm. Although, actually, I did notice. I know, I know, because um, of your sort of professional needs, you're disinclined to talk specifically about operators. But I did notice that, that the correct. two biggest operators in the states, their margins are crazy. Do you remember, Jamie? We were looking that up. Yeah. Uh, they, they, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cheers, Jamie. He's got my back. <laughs> um, um, well, no, I mean their profit margins were their profit margins were better than Europe. But they well, they were a lot better than I thought they'd be. Anyway, they weren't they weren't anywhere near the the internet players. But no. it, it just shows no. the absolute scale that AT and T. And I mean, I I didn't realise how much bigger AT and T was than um, Verizon. Right. Um, what in terms of subscribers? In terms of revenues? Revenues. Right. Because I think we did what the last quarter we looked at, and um, we went through. We just did a simple metric of, you know, if you divide profits by mm. total revenue you get a percentage uh, and I think they were that's about the same they're about, about 15% profit right. margin I think 12 to 15% for Verizon AT&T yeah. but AT&T brought in 39 billion over the last quarter right. of Q Q2 of this year mm. and Verizon brought in 27 or 28 okay. So I mean, we're looking at what, like, difference of like twenty five, yeah, thirty percent. No, that's true. I, I guess being based in Europe, we we we're less sort of acutely aware of their of their fortunes. So we don't, we only occasionally write up their quarterlies, don't we? Well, we write, yeah, no, well, write them up, but just don't give them that much attention. <laughs> not, not <laughs> don't the give same. that much thought, do we? Yeah, not the same. I mean, they're not Whack very. It out, get on to the next company. story, <laughs> isn't it? Um, right. So uh, anyway, that's that's end, another tangent. But the, but the but the point is, they they sort of run con contrary to the. Um, Generalization that's certainly true in Europe that their margins are struggling, their ARPUs are down, all these things that, oh, yeah. that we always hear about. Yep. Um, and and one thing we talk about quite a lot, and I know you listen to the pod, Mary, so you may have heard us talk about it, is you know how they can do it better. Yeah. In terms of both the products that that they offer us as consumers, but also their relationship with us. Um, and so I'll, I'm gonna I'm gonna pass the ball to you just to sort of start it off in terms of. What operators? No named operators. No of names. Course. I'm, I'm, um, gotta be good about that. You know, have you got any thoughts about how operators can do this stuff better? How they can engage people like us? How they can somehow improbably make Jamie look at his phone even more often than he does, <laughs> and that sort of thing? Any, <laughs> any thoughts on that? I don't mind name dropping. I use GifGaf. They're very good. I okay. used to do Vodafone. They're terrible. Okay. Ooh. Why? They, okay. Well, they go. Well, well, before before we pass it to Mary, I'm going to ask you why. Your perception as a consumer, why are they good and the other guys weren't? Um, That's actually really important. Yeah. Give, uh, I mean, 
They don't do anything particularly great, GIFGAF. Um, they've got a really good interface. Uh, their website is absolutely fantastic. Fantastic. Um, this is it? But when yeah. do you need to go to their website, though? Because it's, uh, it, it is month-by-month contracts. Oh. So um, you just buy these little b bundles ad hoc, yeah, don't it's you? Not but you can scale oh. up and scale down each month, depending on your usage. So oh. the first month I was on it, I bought 15 gigabytes. Uh, and I got nowhere near actually using that across the month. Mm. So then the next month I scaled down to eight gigabytes, which is just, it, you know, that's just simple and really, really good. Right. Um, but Vodafone was just, you know, every time I tried to call their customer services, it was terrible. I know they're doing, supposedly doing this loads of stuff with Toby, but I haven't right. really, I haven't, well, they, I, I exited. They their, had their, their BSS fun a few years ago as well. Yeah, yeah. They? I mean, I, I, I exited there being a customer of theirs before Toby got up and running. Right. Um, but, you know, I mean, maybe things have changed. I mean, last right. time I spoke to, um, what's his name, Nick, Nick Jeffries, they said, mm. you know, when he took over, his mission was to, take Vodafone back to the number one spot because yeah, yeah Vodafone, Vodafone was number one what like seven eight years ago right mm -hmm. and then they just went into steep decline and what they're number three in mm -hmm. uh, of the of the of the four but they're only beating three which isn't much of a, a much of a, a shout at the moment no. um, <laughs> sorry three we're always so horrible about three aren't we <laughs> well no but I mean just <laughs> if you I go get. on the metrics they're they're, they're uh, that open signal report that came out this week. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay, yeah. They they yeah. won the 3G signal. Right. Um, their their 3G performance is better than anyone else in the UK. Woo. But everyone else is refarming their 3G to improve their 4G performance. Yeah. So you know okay. it's but losing you, a. Yeah, but what you just said is that you like GifGaf because it was easy to use. It's easy to use. Yeah, yeah. It's good. But that's pretty much what everybody's got to now, right? I mean, we're saying this is got to you use Uber and Amazon. Because you have some intense loyalty to them, or are you using them because they're easy? Yeah. Mm. You know, is there... And they're cheap. And yeah. so immediately, when the operators re really come back to this one thing. You go online, and what are you doing? You're, you're paying them. There's no other engagement that we have naturally with an operator other than to just get their bill. Right? There's nothing else that they really have inherently as a part of what we interact with them for until they send us our bill or we look up our bill and... So everything is associated with how much am I paying you for a service I may yep. or may not like. Yeah. And so, okay, if, if I know I have to pay you, let's at least make this process a little better, a little easier to use. So if you look at Facebook, Amazon, Fang, right? We talk about Fang. Facebook, yeah. Amazon, yeah. Net, Netflix, uh, Google. Google. Mm. And you can extend the A as, as Pierre just was if you want to whack Apple in there. Yeah, and mm. Apple. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and you should really whack an M in there as well for Microsoft. I guess mm. so, but now this With is their just Xbox platform. Fang in the moment. Yeah, and Uber could go in there. So then I don't know just how you do start that. sounding like I probably did Fang at three in the morning. Last yes, night. and <clears throat> my voice is much better anyway. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> but I do. It's I mean, it's that kind of interface that we now are like. Okay, if you can't give me that ease of use, I don't want to deal with you. This I, is I, just. I don't think it is sort of limited to ease of use either. I mean, you know. Everyone talks about having the, the best network, that's what attracts customers. And I think, you know, going back to this open signal report, it just it, it completely contradicted that point. Because right. you know, the best network according to these figures is E, um, and they are number two. And the worst network across average, across all four uh, operators is O2. Oh wow, I was going to say three. Ex except coverage, they were very, very good at coverage mm -hmm. and 4G and 3G latency. They weren't bottom, but they certainly weren't top either. Yeah. 
Um, so that's what it, that is probably the poorest performing network out of the four. Yeah, they got they the most are, subscribers. They are the number one in terms of market share. And why is that? Because number one, they've got a sub brands like Gift Gaff, which is yep. hoovering up subscriptions in the millennials and the the young adults and the teenage demographics. And even old kids like you. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm a millennial actually. I am by definition. I'm a millennial. By definition, I am a millennial. Um, <laughs> I was I was them. even more old git this week. I turned forty seven. <laughs> God but damn it! Don't encourage them. Um, and what uh, was it? What was it there? Um, and yeah, and the priority moments. Uh, you know that that loyalty program is absolutely amazing. Yeah. Um, so it just shows that you know coverage and performance isn't everything. You got to have you've got to factor price into it. So you got to factor yeah. the usability, um, the interaction, and the the value adds. So the marketer would say, what's the value exchange? that you're giving to the subscriber yeah. for having just being a customer. I mean, I think so it's got to all line up like that. You know, and, mm. and so some things you're, as an individual, you're going to say, you know, I can't pay much more than X. So price is going to be your top thing, you yeah. know, of those. But what you just described is what's that whole package yeah, got to yeah, look yeah. like? They've just done incredibly well at balancing the... See, and that's fantastic. Yeah. But I mean, if until you start to think about that and really examine, okay, what's my relationship really like? And can I? What's the assumption I can make on the retention? So yeah, we always go back to ARPU and churn, and the statistics that associate with that. NPS continues to be the one thing that the marketers are judged on. But what it really comes down to is when we get further along here, and I was saying to Scott, eSIM really comes into play, and we start really seeing the terms of service change and get challenged based on what you can do, and as a consumer, and what even IoT devices can do with eSIM. Yeah. And all of the money that they currently spend, these operators spend on just having the swinging door of the store, yeah, right. The call centers, the all of that support network behind it, and what we talk about uh, inside of Synchronous is this digital experience, this whole interface of, of working with you as the customer, and what's that customer experience like? There's not nearly enough money being spent on this. Mm. There's not enough investment. I mean, this is where I think like O2 have nailed it with priority. That's great. And it is, honestly, I think this is one of the best loyalty programs That's around. fantastic to hear. I mean, the, the, the program itself is good. Mm. You offer value, but it's of zero cost. Right. It's like tickets and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Because you're, you're offering them, a di you're offering customers a discount <laughs> and you're offering customers early access. But O2 aren't paying for it. They're leveraging that. They're leveraging their audience to drive those offers for, uh, from the third parties. Yep. So, I mean, O2 is nothing but a turnstile. It's not like they're paying. So it's um, like Amex. You know, mm. for instance, like uh, in years gone, when when uh, do they still sponsor the England rugby team? O2. I don't know. I certainly use they used to the England rugby the team when I'm writing about them. It's an excuse to put a rugby shot up. They used to <laughs> they used to sponsor the Irish rugby team right. as well. Um, or they still might do, actually. I think it's three now for the Irish team. Yeah, it used to be Vodafone years ago as well. Mm. Um, it's but funny that, isn't it? Um, operators in sport. Maybe we'll get onto that, Mary. Um, mm. Yeah, but don't forget, like, tech's a big thing. O2 sponsored well. Arsenal. Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, so they used to, you know, that used <coughs> to be a big money spend mm. so they could offer something to the customers. And now all they're doing is they're just leveraging this audience and saying, look, you know, offer us a... 
offer us 25% for our customers and we'll give you access to them. So they're not actually spending anything. They're just facilitating the relationship. Right. And, and delivering adding, it in a way to you that you find easy and rewarding to use. And adding value on both sides. The customer feels like the value is added because they're getting 25% off and early access to tickets, whereas the third party is getting this free marketing. So this yep. all not it's all a win-win. Free marketing. It's, <laughs> it's, that's why it's such a brilliant strategy. For yeah. them. And I'm surprised three are trying it with their... I can't remember what it's like. Way, way two or something like that. I don't know. Right. Um, they got this new. They got this new program, but they haven't built up enough third parties to make it really valuable at moments. But they're heading in the right direction, and I just think that's yeah. that's perfect. I'm not aware of. So I'm an EE subscriber. I'm not aware of anything like that, and that's not criticism of them. It's just I'm not aware of it. So if they are doing it, the one criticism I would say is they haven't done a great job of presenting it to no. me. Hmm. I'm not aware of them doing it. But what you've just talked about, though, when you think about it, is an entire interaction with O2 that has nothing to do with your bill. Yeah. It doesn't have anything to do with your typical connectivity service. One of the things that I see and I've been watching now is, right, if if you're a tier one and you see all the acquisitions for content in the United States, certainly. So uh, Time Warner with AT&T, you know, if that goes down, they're going to have a a huge library. They're going to have HBO and, and all of that. If you're that size of an operator and you can go down that path and you can augment your overall yeah. service with that kind of content, you're in a really unique position. Yeah. There's just not a lot of these operators that right. have the kind of pocketbook to do that. So what do you have left? What's in your What's in your tool bag that can give you another opportunity to, to interact, to do something that's going to make Jamie happy? I mean, this is, this is a, a real challenge. These guys are trying, they've got to find uh, ways in which to augment the relationship with the consumer so that it is not just about the bill. And so engagement, yep. so I talk to these folks in the product side of the operators all the time and they're like, what What else can we do? So we sell yeah. a, a personal cloud thing. So this is a, an alternative to Google or an Apple uh, iCloud and that sort of thing. And it allows you to, through your phone, just to have backup and restore through uh-huh. cloud that service is being offered And you do it as a white by. label thing though. Yep, you? uh-huh. Right. <clears throat> and there's another example. Oh dear, I'm, who, I'm who, who owns the data centers? The data center we just uh, outsource. So we're working through AWS and, okay. you know, yeah. So it's, and and so it's a, a standard sort of uh, storage model, but it becomes another thing. When you, when we've examined in the past what has made some of the OTT players so successful, is it creates a meeting point. You know, if you're on Snap or you're on Instagram or you're on Facebook, you are immediately a part of a community that you have the opportunity to bring together. So all the brands love that, right? Because you have this this sort of captured audience that is all interacting because they want to interact with each other. And by the way, let me serve up some things that I could potentially promote to you. Mm -hmm. We don't naturally have that in telecom. Right. You know, you're on O2, you're on EE, you're on Verizon, you're on whatever it is, right? You're not necessarily interacting uh, and you don't have a meeting point. So trying to find that natural sort of similar OTT uh, kind of feel is just not natural for them. So they're looking for these different types of services. So the loyalty plays... Genius. Uh, I mean, the big the big problem I I've got with this is that you're taking you're taking the telcos out of. I mean, don't get me wrong. Everyone should look to diversify. Yeah. I think it's a very safe. It's it's incredibly logical. Yeah. But the problem is you're taking um, the the telcos out of they're they're a functional commoditized business, and you're trying to add you're trying to put it into an, a value add. Yeah. And this this idea of 
you know, I just don't think it works. The AT&T thing, I, I think that's just going to, I personally think, and I put a tenner on it, it's going to nosedive and be absolutely terrible. Um, <laughs> the Time Warner acquisition? Yeah, yeah. I just think it's, I mean, they, they said they're going to launch a new, so that was one of the big news stories that came out this week, is that they're going to be yeah. launching a new streaming service mm-hmm. to compete yeah. with Netflix. And I just think, you know, you're taking a functional business, which is which is excellent at working in the commoditized um, yeah. sort of sector, and you're asking them to operate in a very, very risk averse, uh, sorry, risk welcoming scenario. Well, you wrote it right. yesterday. It's an incredibly yeah. competitive market, yeah. and and you have to really adopt the fail fast business model. Like Netflix, right? Tries <clears throat> so many ideas yep. until it lands one, and that is, you know, but that that. That acceptance of risk is not something the telcos are very good at. Yeah, you, so there's a cultural thing gone. Sorry. Well, no, you guys, uh, you talk about this a lot on the pod. Uh, this whole idea of, um, you know, what's really in their wheelhouse? What what should people be doing? Yeah. But what, sitting in the, you know, the executive leadership team meetings, right, that I sit in, no one is satisfied in the lane they're in. No. Right? If you're If you're in a commoditized business, you don't want to remain there. No. No one, you're essentially, no one is, is awarding you for that. So from a shareholder point of view, from a board point of view, you're constantly being challenged to find revenue diversity, revenue growth. I mean, it's like, <laughs> I could sit there all day and say, look, we really shouldn't be doing this. We should just really do what we do really well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's not what the market's... We expand or we die. Like the Roman Empire. Yeah, I mean, it's exactly right. You know, you're, if you're standing still, you're going to be run over. And and that's so there's there's just no tolerance for that. So it's a it's an oxymoron in many ways the way in which businesses are run today. Because you could make an argument that says, no, absolutely, we should just really do what we do very well and be really tight at it. Hmm. But none of the markets really reward you for that. No. You know, you're not you're not being judged on doing that really well. Yeah, you look at like Microsoft share price <coughs> versus Amazon's or something in terms of trajectory. Yeah, so, you, so you're also, so the model is so difficult. So you say they've really got to adopt the fail-fast method. That's also a total oxymoron for these mm-hmm. traditional businesses. They yeah. have no idea how to do it. They're going to, they just don't want to either. It's well, scary to them. Th- so, yeah, the middle management is just like, no yeah, way. Yeah, it's terrifying. Right? The senior management is just like, yeah, i got to do this. i got to figure out how to do it. I mean, it, it is a constant push-pull yeah. inside these organizations. And presumably there are sort of cultural challenges to do with, for Huge. example, how execs are compensated. I'm not going to ask you a personal question about how you're compensated, but you know, <laughs> presumably, um, at most people at your sort of board level, there's a fair bit of structure and variability depending on how many bright ideas you come up with and all this sort of thing. What there isn't is a massive, you know, just keep the ship on a even keel. Not you a know, thing. Don't rock the boat. Bonus. Not a thing. No. I mean, this is. I, I mean, I've said this before, and it's. I, I mean, firstly, I I don't see I don't see anything wrong with commoditized business model. It's just the way you sell it to um, your, your investors and shareholders. Like Facebook, for instance, if they turned around and said, we're not going to get the incredible growth figures year on year, but what we're going to do now is we're going to focus on a complete operational efficiency model. So instead of increasing the top line revenue, we're going to go to the bottom line and we're going to massively boost your dividend. So there's nothing wrong with the commoditized business model which focuses on business efficiency. But why? Why I, I think the, the telcos of massive scale, like the AT&T, the Verizons, your, you know, your China Mobile, while you're trying to unicom, yep. they should go down the alphabet route 
and split your business. So Alphabet has two businesses. They have their Google Main search bit. advertising, which is the core yep. business. There's, they don't do anything revolutionary there. They just carry on and they just collect cash every single yep. um, every single uh, sort of quarter. Yep. Then they have their and Project X. You know the, yeah, the, the moonshot moon labs yeah, where yeah. they come out with new ideas, and that's the way the telcos should. And there's should a operate. degree, uh, there's a degree of sort of protection of ring yeah. fencing, and and presumably the culture in the moonshot bit is this fail fast, and there isn't yeah, a blame 100%. culture, and someone can roll a dice and completely screw it up, and everyone's like, no worries, mate, at least you gave it a shot. But they could they could do this in the telcos. They could separate the business and say, right, we're going to have this commoditized utilitized business model where all you're going to do is operate, go for business efficiency and increase the profitability. Then we're going to ring fence a billion, two billion pounds a year for these guys over here. Maybe, you know, I don't know. That's, I mean, yeah. if someone like Verizon, if they're turning over 140 billion a year, you know, we're going to, we're going to ring fence 30 billion a year for you. Find a so bill or two, shouldn't they? So you can start you can start uh, you know investing in really really cool ideas you can have a go at making the router the focal point of the smart home you can have a look at dominating the smart the autonomous uh, vehicles area Uh, you know all these all the smart cities you know all these all these areas that are passing them by just purely because they're not investing aggressively enough because they're afraid of it how it will pull down the profit margin so Um, um, so Mary so ring fencing a uh, sort of high risk high return bit of the business is, is that as simple as we're making it sound no, no. <laughs> i wish it was they do do it um <clears throat> it's just not at the scale it's not at the scale that's going to really in terms of so this is why the acquisitions so, so, it's, is so, so it's pointless it's difficult if you know well but I mean, it, they if can't you, make it pointless though they have to try to do it but if you're not spending enough money to make it uh, actually successful, successful in the long run there's zero you might as you well might just not bubble. do it in yeah, the yeah. first place but there's so th- this is why it's so challenging they have so much investment that they have to plow back into the existing business which as you describe is pretty much commoditized yeah that but yet at the same time you know they're being driven to figure out how to do 5g right mm-hmm. so so there's this there's this whole uh, dichotomy that I don't think necessarily happens in any other utility if you will yeah right it's not as if the electric companies are going to come out with you know 5g there's not yeah. a there's not this sort of like your water companies giving you cinema yeah. tickets for flushing the toilet right <laughs> that's exactly what goes through my mind um yeah i mean so part of what happens is we've done this great job of putting ourselves on this hamster wheel let's like okay it's, it's the next round you know we're going to do 3g it's going to be faster we're going to be able to do all these things 4g 5g whatever that's going to be whenever that happens um, so they have this, that was the growth the strategy. That was how they were making more money. So when there was still penetration that was possible, when there's still subscribers that you didn't have, and you could do that, it was fine. But what's happened is now we've reached a saturation point. We've reached penetration. We have, you know, in the developed world, we've got, you know, smartphone penetration that's way up there. So now it's the struggle of like, we were a growth company. We were innovative to some degree. We were driving out an offer and a solution that was new, but now it's not. Now I have a digital native that's a Gen Z that's yeah. you know had a device in their hand since they were three years old. So now they have to find something else. So yeah, they're in this really challenging place of, I gotta fix what I got. What I have right now needs to be totally transformed. So Scott and I have spent a lot of time in this sort of digital transformation discussion and what does that mean? Because yep. they gotta automate, they gotta find more margin. Because they gotta create more margin to put into things that are actually gonna drive more loyalty, more usage, 
but they can't do it at scale yet because they still got to run this core business and get prepared for whatever's coming next. Yeah, it's a really difficult. I I mean I get this. I mean I mean I get this difficult, but I don't think it. I don't think anyone should even say that it's even sort of close to impossible or, or that difficult because go- when Google separated their entire business, right? Right. We're not talking. We, you know, in the UK, for instance, we got BT. What is BT? BT turns over about about eleven, twelve billion pounds a year, Can't or something like that. It's 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 something. It's about three, four okay. billion a quarter, I think. Um, right. So that's so separating their business from core commodity through to the 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 the, the really interesting stuff um, over in the the moonshot labs. Yeah. Right. For a eleven, twelve billion pound dollar business. Yeah. Okay. That'll be that that apparently is immensely difficult. It is tough. Google managed to do it for a $90 billion business where everything is so intrinsically focused on the search engine. They they managed to do it. They managed to separate people all across the world and all across uh, uh, sort of various different businesses and verticals that were ingrained in every different aspect of the business. They managed to do it at that massive scale. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think I the one thing, uh, when people say it's very difficult for the telcos to do, I'm just like, well, yeah, so what? Um, right. Stop stop using that as an excuse because everyone else be. do it. And that's why we talk to them about trying to find other ways for them mm. to have different solutions that are going to give them an opportunity. So we just did a deal with AT&T and Smart Buildings. We announced it yeah. a couple of weeks ago. And so this continues. Smart Cities is, you know, not really happening yet. It's still, yeah. you know, very much test bedding in, in various cities around the world. There's some, you know, more sophistication and more maturity in some markets. Singapore is, you know, the the, right. the, the example yep. most typically. But they have to do this. They have to figure out how to do it. And I think this is um what what you just described, the sheer force of will that the leadership team and the board has to have to drive to this, I cannot express enough to you how hard that is to get. Yeah. If there was one thing that I would say, you can you can make the culture you you can drive a culture that will embrace that kind of a change, but man, you've got to start so high up. It's got to be yeah. everything and to totally embrace it. That's and you have to be crazy team. like Steve Jobs. Yeah, that's actually, you, the iPod you mentioned down. you mentioned Steve Jobs, and that might be a good example to to expand on what Mary's saying. And then I'm gonna because um, Mary's got a hard cut off because she's a high flying exec and has got to go and do important meetings <laughs> no, and that sort of thing. Always um, uh, <laughs> is. Uh, you know, if you've got that strength of personality, but also that degree of total, um, I suppose, dominance over your company. So mm-hmm. while, while Steve Jobs was running Apple, certainly in the second incarnation, mm-hmm. uh, what, what he said goes. There was no, you know, he presumably didn't have to put it to a committee. Mm-hmm. Leadership um, is everything in yeah, this. Yeah, and, and maybe yeah. that's another reason why these... Um, these internet companies, which are younger companies... Yeah. You know, you look at, you look at Google, you've got... Um, Larry Page and Sergey Brin, uh, Facebook, mm. Facebook, you know Zuckerberg. No one's questioning that Zuckerberg calls a shot. One is ten people. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and that does that does give me a, a segue actually talking about these internet giants because some of the stuff we've written about this week, Google's up, come up quite a lot. Jamie's the, written. You, the, the other thing is you got the right type of people at the top, even when they're not young. Yeah. Um, you know, like at, yeah. at Microsoft, you got Sadna Yadella. Um, yeah, they've actually got it right. Sundar Pinchai. You know, they got these. These, they're not young, but they're people that are, are looking at the industry in the right way. Yeah. The telcos, you look at, it's just a bloody merry-go-round of executives that old school, you know, 
developed in the analog age right. that are still running the business in the digital age. And you know, they just got a merry-go-round. So back to the cultural thing. Yeah, they're going from company to company yeah. and just compounding the problem at, at the board level. Yeah, I mean, these internet guys started off the way they meant to go on. Yeah. Mm. Right? So it's not as if that's happened with these 130-year-old businesses. Yeah. I mean, these are still, <laughs> you know, telcos that have gotten a wireless license that now we all look at as, you know, essentially almost new. But really, you know, the first call was made in the United States in 83. So it, that's not that long ago. First mobile. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The first mobile call was made in 83. How right. big was the phone? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was about the size of this table. Uh, <laughs> and it, it probably was, pushed out so much, you know. Well, a lot of them. It like was literally a brick. Gordon they just Gecko. lobbed it at someone yeah. to get their attention. I mean, AT&T started as sort of like merging together various different businesses from the radio world, didn't yeah. it? I mean, I, I, mean I, I don't know my history on AT&T that well, but it, didn't it, it evolve from eight or nine different businesses that all merged into one and that was then to force to split out again that's right uh, years later yeah yeah well, yeah so it was it, it was american telephone and telegraph yeah yeah was what it originally started off with and it was one of the very first companies ever listed on the stock exchange which is why its symbol is just the t back yeah. when the, yeah. Back yeah. When oh, the yeah. distinction between telephone and telegraph was important enough to put in your company that's name. exactly right and so it was you know sort of 18 I think it's like 1891, right. something like that. Yeah. I'm going to push the segue because otherwise we're not going to talk about anything else <laughs> until you've got to go. And it's not a big one, and it's and it's kind of on your home turf, I think, a bit anyway, Mary, mm. which is one area of diversification that is coming up quite a lot, both from the telcos and from the internet companies, is uh, smart home. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I know that uh, Synchronos, as I would define your company it sort of produce helps um you're there to sort of produce sort of white label products to help operators um diversify yep. uh, especially in terms of some sort of consumer offerings mm-hmm. um i'm sure it's a bit more complicated than that but that's no. that's, that's what i'm going to go with you're getting really good at this marketing stuff <laughs> i mean you, you know you you downplay it all the time but you're really getting better i, I look at it as my tutelage really so oh you know, well you're too influence, kind you're you know, too influencing kind you. flattery will get you everywhere <laughs> um and so they so there've been some announcements this week in fact this reminds me of a slight tangent for myself you know everyone's a bit worried about how these um internet companies uh, you know there's like data privacy scares sure. mm-hmm. google's just had one with google plus so mm-hmm. it just pulled the plug on it facebook's obviously been having a nightmare all year nightmare with that cambridge analytica stuff i um i'm going in, in a week's time i'm going to hong kong mm. and i was just chatting to the people who were organizing my travel to hong kong and they were saying they're having a bit of trouble with availability so i went online and went to Cathay pacific's website to see what, what kind of availability there is for London, Hong Kong when I'm going. And so I did a search. I used Google Chrome. I did a search on Google, and then I fired up their their website. Within hours, Facebook was serving me ads for flights on Cathay Pacific, yep. London to Hong Kong. <clears throat> now, that's quite Please. creepy because mm. it's not like Google was doing it. So I don't, I don't know the technology. I don't know how Facebook knew that this, you know, there's cookies and there's all that sort of I'm sure it's not very sinister and not very complicated. But I still thought, damn, you know, this is this is from one internet giant to another. It's almost like they're cooperating, which um, kind would of it, does would, my head in. Would it not be Katay that is augmenting I was gonna say. its data with Facebook's data? Because as soon as you went on, right. the, you accepted cookies from Katay Pacific. Yeah. And then so they therefore they Could capture be. your Could details well and then they augment it with the platform that they're going into right. just to hi- uh, to scale up their advertising. 
but it still it still kind of slightly annoys me that well, Facebook found out what I was up to so quickly. Yeah, I think what's important to keep in mind is that while they're serving you up those, they don't know you're Scott. Right. What they've done is at any moment in time, yeah. as you're on the on the internet, there could be ten to twenty companies, right, that are looking at your traffic, and are are gleaning information about that, and then turning around and, and finding the right IP address to then serve up the right ad. But they're not, it's not as if all of a sudden they have gotten your data. They just know that you're a person on this IP address. Right. And there's, and Fair it's, enough. Companies like Axiom and that oh, sort but, of thing. Oh, it came on my phone as well. Oh, yeah. It's omni-channel, which is, of course, what the marketer wants to do. They want to hit you on every channel that you have. Yeah. But you are being observed as a consumer at any moment in time. Certainly, yeah. But it's not, but it is not as sinister as, as we think about it. It's not as if they know it's Jamie and they have your details. Right. You know what I mean? It's They know that you are a user that has just looked at this. So they've captured the data that it's appropriate. And this is... This is a huge industry to, to then yeah. turn it around and say, okay, here is here is something that's relevant that apparently this IP address just yeah. touched. And so let's serve that up. So there's, you know, Axiom is a good example of that. There's a bunch of companies that right. help other brands coalesce the state and bring yeah, it yeah. back to you. Although yeah. the, the, the algorithm is still a bit rubbish. I've spoken about this before. Yeah. Cause like I get I get served an ad for something. You just bought. That, yeah. Well, and like on Amazon. But I'll this put, is a good example of why you actually, that should make you feel better because they don't know you just bought it. Well, that they're a bit... No, no. <laughs> but, I, but I think it'll be it'll be complicated in the fact that you've got numerous people coming off the same. I mean, uh, off your IP address at mm. home, um, you've got which is X amount of people. Yeah. You'll probably so I do this. Uh, um, like uh, when I go back to my parents, my parents are constantly signed into their Gmail accounts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but when I go on their computer, so. Yep. You know, my dad is in theory searching the internet, yeah. but then I go on it and I search for something, and it throws off all the algorithms because it, I'm plugging You're in my data stuff. into dad's profile. Yeah. So dad, all of a sudden, has you know he's a he. My dad's 68, and you know all of a sudden he's got all this stuff about golf and all that and all yeah. that on his profile and then I go on it and I start I don't know I might look at the we tech don't stuff what I might look at BBC uh, look he's rugby. cleaning it up for me that's but why I, you know, he's, I, he's making it all I, clean I now. throw off all the data and confuse the algorithms because yeah. I haven't used the digital economy properly and in, in that I haven't signed in to my profile to further right. personalize my profile well and you also haven't dumped his cash right I mean cash is just an enormous thing that we'd never think about but mm. oh my god that's a huge issue today. I just the amount that we're cashing in our in just our typical interaction yeah. on our phones and on our devices is just enormous. So for us to kind of clean it up and be able to kind of be presenting ourselves as fresh, we don't have the time for that. And we're accepting cookies constantly. So yeah. it's it's a we kind of it's a cycle, right? We're just kind of in this loop of 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 that. It makes you want to just like chuck your computer out the window and yeah. start again. Yeah, um, but you probably can't do that. I imagine whatever sort of digital footprint you have, which just follows you around like a straight totally. cat. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, you're signed in to your email address on that. I'm yeah. assuming, and probably signed in on your Gmail account on your work computer, uh, and then probably on your tablet as well. So mm. that's where that's the way that Google's following you. It's got yeah, yeah and like, I even use Google Pay, so it knows what I'm up to. Yeah, it knows it knows that for some reason I was trying to get to King's Cross Station at a, a very late hour last night. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah, so yeah, so I mean, Google, Google's got you because you're signed in with your oh, email yeah. account everywhere. Yeah. So, so what? The reason I brought that up, other than that very interesting sort of tangent we just went off on, is just sort of topical stuff that we've written about this week. Jamie wrote about Facebook coming up with a 
little um, sort of smart home screen device. Mm. Yeah. And then Google, as well as announcing the Pixel 3 and a new sort of tablet, hybrid tablet thing, also came out with this little smart speaker with a screen. Um, and there's two things I want to talk about that. One, I'll, I'll talk about myself, which I thought was interesting with Google. Um, and then I'm going to sort of pass it to you two just to talk about just the smart home in general mm. as a as a commercial opportunity as, and that sort of thing. But the Google one, they made a virtue with their little, there's just a little seven inch screen attached to a smart speaker. You know, I personally, we've spoken about this on the pod, I don't get these smart speakers. Talk about letting another spy device into your house. For God's sake, um, <laughs> tinfoil. But hat. yeah, well, quite. But Google, but Google's aware of this because you know Google goes off and does does focus groups and you mm. know, and they're aware of the fact that people like me are getting a bit freaked out by how constantly monitored we are. So they've made a virtue with this device of it a not having a camera at all, and apparently that's so they so you buy lots of them and keep them in the bog in the bedroom and that sort of thing, mm. without without worrying that Mister Google can see. So you're on, going on. on the job in both senses of the word. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and they've also got a hard audio cut-off switch. Yeah, so unless like you a, say, hey, Google, it's... It yeah, so you can... Goes, because yeah. people are... You know, there's been these things, and they always deny it, but there's been these worries that, that it's just listening to you no All matter what, mm -hmm. whether we say, hey, Only Google, or not. So... So I think that's good. They're obviously being sensitive to people's anxieties, but the only flip side of it is it kind of made me think, so what's the point of this device then? You yeah. can't do these video calling and the stuff that Facebook and, and so on and, and Amazon are banging on about. You can switch off the audio, so then all you've then got is a rather small screen just sitting around littering your living room. I mean, the, the Facebook one has done something similar as well, is that they've got a... Um, they're making this privacy a big selling point. So they have... Um, got a uh, a physical cover that you can oh, pull down really? over the camera screen. Uh, so you know if you if you are worried about that sort of thing, you can just physically block off the camera. Um, and secondly, they um, all of the AI is loaded onto the device locally. Okay. So no data. So any 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 data that's processed. Um, is done locally on okay. that device, so it doesn't traverse wow. the internet and go back to the core of data. Uh, so, so computing locally, that's... It's quite a big device. Do you know what? I mean, Facebook, if you're watching, feel free to send me one because I'd like <laughs> to try it out. Yeah. Uh, it looks like a really... This is why I'm quite confident in... or Well, not confident, but I think Facebook could, uh, could be onto a winner here. It looks like a really good device. Huh. And that's what you need if you're going to penetrate mass markets. You know, well, early early a adoption. Good product, yeah. yeah. Well, early adoption, you need something that's really technically savvy. Uh, the the algorithms are really smart. The AI is is amazing. So you get those early adopters in. When you're looking to penetrate the mass market, you need something that looks good. You know, something that fits in. You buy it because it's a smart product to put in your living room, not because it's technically amazing. Right. But it's something that fits in your living room, and you buy it as a sort of yeah. a, like a fashion accessory. Right. It doesn't need to be a new device. It doesn't know? have to be a new device, but it's just going to look good. Remember the analyst who talked in terms to? of not intelligent necessarily. It yeah, is yeah. Smart because it's smart looking. Yeah. But uh -huh. this, I mean, this TV. Is, yes, yeah. I mean, a TV could be a, your smart home device. It's already there as a TV. You might as well be yeah, something. Yeah, no, it could do. Smart it up, to. but you can't yeah. take it. You can't move it. Well, you can That's move the Google Homes, or yeah, you can. Yeah, but you wouldn't unplug it and move it somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, they, they've got battery life on them anyway. And even if it is oh. uh, unplugging it, it's literally about that big. 
so you literally just That's unplug really it cool. and carry it um so yeah mm. but no i get what you mean it is plugged in it's only in one room more. typically um but then you can buy because they're only like i bought one for my parents and my brother for christmas uh and they're only 39 pounds See, and that's that's the next thing so then the you can buy price. three yeah. or four of them so you have them around you're the house. pretty much in impulse purchase territory there yeah. aren't you? um but yeah but this is i mean the the, the the well the very reason that facebook have make are making a good assault on this market is the very reason that smartphone uh, smart watches have failed in that people buy them because they're good technology products but then to penetrate the mass market you need to convince someone a, a watch is a fashion icon now totally it's uh it's not you you tell your you can tell the, the time off the phone it's mm-hmm. the functionality of a watch has completely disappeared so you need to create a device which everyone in the industry or everyone in the mass market look at and say oh i like that it's fashionable it's something mm-hmm. i want to wear to show off yep. and no one's done that really you know, Apple tries with these sort of different straps and that sort of thing. Yeah, but they haven't mm. made a device which you would say that's better looking than the watch that I've got on. So I'd prefer yeah. to wear that than. I mean, that's and that's what no, Facebook. I mean, Square. I've always thought with with smartwatches, I thought Square is just a bad start. Yeah, we're used to round. Yeah, um, that's so, a good point. Uh, Square doesn't do it for me at all. Then then you're getting back in the eighties. We had those Casio watches yeah, that had yeah, little yeah. calculators and shit on them. Look, I just don't want to be bothered that much. I mean the idea I watch people sit there and have the smartphone on and they get the text messages and they're looking down. Mm. It's bad enough that I have my phone right it's there. Annoying, yeah. You know, I, I can't I think I'd, I'd lose my mind, you mm. know, if I had a smartwatch on my Constantly on my notifying so, you. Yeah, I just you know, yeah. I I just I can't yeah, yeah, no. It, to totally... me, they're only good for fitness, and that's it. So I, so, a, so, so I have is... no need for them whatsoever. Yeah, <laughs> ever. <laughs> so I, all I've got is like just a little dial on this watch that just shows me my steps, and it connects to an app. Oh, okay, that's, that's cool. That's so, good. yeah. So it's okay. just a, it's just a watch, but this is there, and it connects to my. I mean, that's the app. reason that um, what's it called, uh, Fitbit. Mm. Yeah. You know, they're the only ones that have really made this niche work because they offer a very simplistic device for an audience yeah. and at a price at which a, price a lot point. of people can afford yeah so just to steer it back because we're starting to run out of time here i wanted to ask <laughs> you about it, um the smart home sure so you know from a marketing exec's point of view you know what are the opportunities what what things have you done seen done well what things would you like to see more of any any of that sort of stuff to do with um the smart home commercial opportunity well it's a little bit of the battle of um kind of getting at the smart aspect of this of how fashionable can it be versus right. what's the price point and so the entry into smart home has come to come via energy and energy consumption how do you how do you maximize and optimize that right that's had its uh, kind of in various levels of failure yeah. and su- kind almost success oh yeah give a sh- yeah right <laughs> uh you know smart lighting oh my god hold me back you know I mean, it's, <laughs> it's kind of like they're so expensive. Well, they are. Each the bulb l- is like thirty bucks. Yeah. So you know, and then you think about okay, what are what are you really doing with that? Are you monitoring it? Is that actually helping you lower your overall consumption? I mean, there is going to be a, a, a really big movement, I think, that we're going to start to talk about because given some of the stuff that's come out about the planet and what we're doing mm. to it, you know, there's going to be a sustainability story here that, you know, in another few months, that's going to be what smart home becomes about. It's it's got to be how are we optimizing consumption in such a way, and that's. So the whole way it's being marketed today from a convenience point of view, from a, a safety point of view, from um, you know the way in which we're – all of that, it's too difficult to implement. There's not a really good way to have it all be interconnected. There are all these different systems that you have to think about. You know, it, Google and 
AT&T and uh, Amazon and everyone's trying to create uh, essentially a suite of products and services that are around this, but there's not enough of a demand to really make this, I think, yeah. it, it really make it sustainable as a, as a business model. So what we're doing now is seeing, so we're, we're kind of t attacking this as sort of just, just smart buildings. So if a home is a building, what are the kinds of solutions that we want to sell to just a building and optimizing a building? So that's kind of the direction we've started with. And a building actually is kind of almost a living, breathing thing. People come in and out of it. The entire dynamic of the building changes if you have right. more or less people in it. Okay. okay. How much consumption do you have when it comes to HVAC? How much consumption do you have with water? Can you optimize that? Can you figure out how to monitor it well enough so that you can actually reduce expense and reduce your carbon yep. footprint and all of that? You can so actually, right. so that's a lot of what we're spending time on is building that. So this this has been a space dominated for a long time by folks like Johnson Controls and Honeywell and those sorts of folks, mm -hmm. right? But the data that's been pushed off of these platforms has not really been made available to even the building manager. Essentially, you hire these guys and you say, okay, I want to spend this much and I want to save X amount from my existing bill. Well, that's not actually optimizing. What you are saying is, I want you to handle that for me, as opposed to, I want to get that data. I want to better understand what's going on and how am I using, what's my consumption? And could I actually make that data available to somebody else? Could they use it for something? So I think there's, right. as we think about smart cities, which has really had a hard time in going into smart building, I, I think the technology that we use for the smart building has got to get less expensive and potentially be applicable to the home and small businesses. And that could be how Okay. We start to see a revenue, real revenue mix of that being generated. My my issue is, I mean, I think you've hit. I think one thing you said that really, really nailed it, and this is why I think the industry has gone completely the wrong way about trying to uh, incorporate smartness into our daily lives. You, you were talking about demand, yeah, right, yeah. Demand hasn't been created. Mm -mm. They haven't necessarily proved the worth of the products before they're trying to push them onto the audience. So everyone's talking about, you're, you're talking a lot about functionality there. Yep. Now functionality, people don't buy functionality. Nope. Mm. They buy functionality further down the line when a product has been normalized to them. So think of smartphones, right? Smartphones, all the products that we uh, got across on our smartphone now are purely functional. You know, we're talking about online banking, we're talking about hooking up to the smartphone. These, these, are, these are functional benefits. But did they sell us the concept of the smartphone on functionality to start with? No, no they sold it on games, they sold it on video, they Emotion. sold it on entertainment. Right. You know, they, they sold it on frivolous things, normalized the concept of uh, smartphones in our head, and then they moved on to the, the, the big bad world of functionality and making money off our day-to-day -day lives of being digital. What we tried to do, or what the industry has tried to do with smart home, is they've gone straight to the functionality right. play, but they haven't actually plugged the benefits and made it normal in our heads. That Aren't things... they trying to do that with the smart speakers? Yeah, they're doing it now, but, right. the, but the functionality play has been going on for what? Right, like, a long three, time. Three, yeah. four years. Totally. And they didn't create the, the demand through frivolous, which I think is why the smart home will start to accelerate because people are mm. buying it. You've got an Alexa, haven't you? No. No, no, no. Oh, no, 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 Hell no. Ian's got an Alexa. I'll, I'll, have, I'll have none of that in my house. Ian's got an Alexa. Yeah, Ian's got one, yeah. Um, yeah. Then there's people that have, uh, you know, Google devices, and then there's yeah. HomePod that's taken off with Apple, then Facebook's getting into the space. Yeah. You know, Bose have got a relationship with um, Alexa to yeah. plug... Uh, plug their digital assistant in there, or is it Bang & Olufsen, one or the other. Yeah. Um, but they're, they're actually creating the, fr the demand by 
normalizing the idea of smart devices from a frivolous perspective before and then eventually once everyone likes the idea and has got used to the idea you can start saying yeah. oh you can actually buy this for your fridge as well well in what you said and i love i love the term frivolous from a marketer point of view because what it really is is i'm going to try to find the emotional connection to yeah, you yeah 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 right essentially yeah and and so until we make it that it really is important to you you know so that's why the advertising has gotten to such a way alexa or you know uh, I, you know, you've lost your keys. You've locked them in your car. Alexa, order, you know, order the, I need a, a locksmith here. You know, you can think about all yeah. these, these ads that they've done. And they've tried to find that emotional connection. And they've, it's just not been there yet. And we're not, we're not there yet. And right. I, and that now there's, unfortunately, while at the same time, there's also just this massive increase in, tr- in, in, um, in distrust. Right. So the distrust is there. How does that balance off with potential emotional appeal that's something that could help make your life easier is actually not really, really right now trusted. So I think they're in a, it's a difficult spot right now. I mean, this is why the Facebook business model and the Google business model work so well. And there was such a scandal when Cambridge Analytica came out is that they didn't jump right in the deep end with the functionality stuff. They started off with a product and they gradually added layer upon layer upon layer upon layer. And it was, you know, it's, it's, it's drown, it's, it's, it's killing, killing the frog by putting it in freezing water and then turning on the heat right yeah um you know we <laughs> but then at some stage to run with the metaphor people go hold on a sec it's yeah suddenly got hot well that's what happened with yeah. cambridge analytica yeah. you know the, it wasn't the scandal wasn't the big issue i think the big issue was the fact that all of a sudden the curtain was pulled back and you saw this incredible data machine behind that you you'd been gradually normalized to through updates and d- additional services but they but the technology companies hadn't taken you on the journey and explained yeah. to you what they were upgrading every single time but at the same time part of that is okay i have to find revenue diversification here yeah. i have to actually make money doing this and so there's this is where that you know going back to the earlier conversation of, of the decisions being made to continue to add to the functionality add to make it so that we continuously are attracted to it and emotionally it appeals to us they got to have an engine that's generating cash to make it so that you can you can develop those things i mean i i run product management in in synchronous right and it's a constant battle of what am i going to build yeah right and can i am i going to spend money in you know one of four places or all all three all four it is so hard Mm. (laughs) i can't express to you it is so hard to uh to know that you've got something and people really like it and they have to figure out, okay, I gotta continue to drive and put money into this. Yeah. What's the source of that gonna be? Yeah. I gotta continue to find more money to, to do this. And so And that's gotta be taken away from something else and that Yeah, and that, or you gotta find, you know, the new idea, which is, right. you know, so I it, the corporation drive for revenue diversification in order to just simply maintain an existing service is just a, a massively challenging yep. issue. And so what to me what this was about was you know, they got too far ahead of their skis and essentially trying to make sure that they had the revenue diversification in order to continue to build on top of this. But was it the cause or the effect, right? You know, where where is the where's the push-pull of this? Was it the emotional, you know, continuation of having it drive, you know, getting the next billion users? What was driving that, you know, to make that decision? I, it's a it's a constant corporate dilemma. <laughs> we're, um, we're, we're running out of time. I guess one thing just to sort of go full circle on that and, and putting it back to operators sure so we accept that there's a bit of a trust deficit 
you know, every time we hear about Cambridge Analytica or Google Plus more recently having this breach and then they didn't even tell anyone and they're going, well, we didn't have to tell anyone because no one, no one exploited the breach. But people are going, well, it's still, you know, still be nice to know, mate. Mm. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, there's, so there's these trust issues and obviously they'll be throwing sort of um, messaging resource at yeah. that. But it strikes me that that is one area in which operators, and I'm not saying we necessarily trust operators more, but let's say for the right. sake of argument we do, um, where, you know, where operators can, can position themselves as this sort of trusted partner for technology, for the white label stuff that they might be getting from your company. Oh, and congratulations on getting out of the NASDAQ doghouse as well. Thank you. Way. Thank you. We're very um, happy about that. Yes, I bet you are. Um, and so, yeah, there's, there's the trust as well as being the utility that we we're talking about earlier, where you've got the, you know, everyone talks about this, you've got this natural customer relationship already, you're already in their house, you're already in their, you know, you've already got a, a billing relationship and all that sort of thing. But yeah, maybe that's the trust thing. You go, okay, we might not be as sexy as some of these internet companies, but you can We you can absolutely sell our personal cloud, for example. That's one of the leading value propositions that we yeah. talk to people about. My operator knows more about me and has known more about me than almost anybody else. They know where I am. They know, you know, who I'm talking to. I mean, it's, we already have, I've, I've said for a long time, it's not very, you know, terribly sexy, but, you know, they are, you know, the guardian of my mobile existence is, yeah. is my, is my mobile operator. And I, it is a natural extension for them to actually have more opportunity to help me uh, in my digital world manage it and optimize it because I already trust them. I may not like them. <laughs> There's yeah. a, an interesting thing here where you don't necessarily like them, but you yeah. we have almost by default trusted them. Yeah. And they and you're not gonna have, have a brand affection like you might have for Apple or something like that. Right. And so there's a there's an interesting dichotomy and, and this is a real challenge inside these operators today, is you know, where's the governance risk and compliance organization uh, opposite the other side of the house that says, Okay, we can monetize this data. So this this challenge in, in Clash happens all the time, but they haven't done it yet. The pro the problem is and you just nailed it there. They haven't done anything about it. No, you know, and they might not in but, in pure reaction to just this. I mean, to be perfectly honest, I do, I think, I think yes, I agree with you. There might be too many arguments from the stubborn side of the business to prevent it, but I I think that's giving them a little bit too much credit in the smart home in particular because I think they've lost that battle already. Mm -hmm. They had the opportunity to make the the the, the root of the far, the focal point of the live, uh, of the smart home, yet through inactivity and lack of investment and not creating an open uh, an open platform with open APIs that other people can plug into and develop services on through the router they've allowed Amazon and Google to wrestle the ecosystem yep. into Disintermediation. The, into the into the uh, the smart speaker mm -hmm. they through through inactivity Google and uh, uh, Amazon have snuck in and just said, we're going to dominate the smart home and we're going to let you build everything off the back of the speaker yep. as the focal point. Yep. So I, as far as I'm concerned, they've lost that battle. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, they're trying to play, and they're going to continue to try to play catch up. I mean, the smart home uh, is one aspect of the win, which yep. they're looking at sort of smart city in general. Is, is what we're talking to most of the larger right. operators around is how they're trying to attack it. Because I do think they've realized... The home is not, uh, is not where the revenue is. Okay. You know, I mean, it's a more challenging market from a consumer mass market approach. So if they started where they know yeah. connectivity and 
reliability of connectivity is so critical and they can add value on top of that. That's where we're seeing more sense. And smart city, the approach. And if we view them as the utilities, to some extent they are, it makes sense that they go be going on a city-wide scale rather yeah. than a house by house because yeah. that's what utilities do, don't they? Yeah. They still have to create this open platform, though. I mean, I'm yet to see anyone to do it. So you need to create an open platform with open APIs that people can We're going to hear more about that. Yeah. It's, gonna, it's coming. I, I mean, Jamie, look, whether, whether they're successful or not, I mean, I'm trying very hard to help them be successful doing that. And what I think they need is, is partners. I mean, th- this is not just, you know, you know, promoting synchronous. In general, they need to be able to partner better because they could do a lot with partnerships that they don't today and figure out a way to uh, really, you know, beyond what they currently do with partners. I mean, you, you know, it is, and it's not the traditional player that they've been with, but we are talking to product guys inside that are, that are really thinking about this and how do they create that kind of developer-friendly open environment that can drive services in that still leverages their connectivity. It's just back to what we talked about before. It is so foreign to their entire mode of operating. Yeah. So some are going to be a little bit better in doing it. I mean, I think there's there's we're definitely going to see pockets around the world where you know have a couple of examples of these operators capable of doing it and actually executing well on it. It's just how long is it going to take? Right. You know, talking but they got to do it. Talking about partners. Yes. You've got to go you've got to go and visit a business partner now. I do. And I if do. I keep you here any longer, they might not be your partner anymore. Yeah, no, you're quite so, right. Uh, I have to figure out how to get... I, a taxi's yeah. the right move, I think, yeah. yeah I think so. So we'll go and do that. So, but thank you very much for coming. It's always a pleasure to get you on. Oh, it was so Whenever happy to see you. Whenever you're around, yeah. let us know on a Friday, and we'll do this. Ideally, ideally not at nine in the morning, Pierre. It's um, all your fault. You know yeah. that. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, great chatting to you, and thanks no, a lot for coming. No, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Okay. Absolutely. And thank you, everyone, for watching. Make sure you join us for the next one. Bye.